few months ago, Angie and myself were watching a, an interview, and it was about prophecy and about tribulation. And I know the man on there, I've seen a couple of his programs on marriage. His name's Jimmy Evans, and they were talking to him about a book that he has written during uh, all the COVID stuff since uh, this has come out. And I'm not trying to promote the book. That's not what my, my goal is here. But Angie actually finished the book, and she would I haven't read, read it yet. So uh, she would tell me things during the, the course of all this, of just points that he would bring out. And uh, it, was, it, it was just a lot of great information, and I encourage you uh, to get it, and you can. I'm not promoting it, but I just say it would be, if you're interested in that... <laughs> You might want to grab and, and read over it, but he said something in here at the end of the book that she shared with me, and I, w I wanted to share this with you before this service this morning, and it's kind of the closing comments. And he j it's called tip Tipping Point. Uh, the end is here. Finally, this is what he says. I leave you with this. Live for God, not this world. Put Jesus first, whatever it takes. Surround yourself with other believers who will support you and help you to be accountable. The writer of Hebrews says, let us consider one another in order to stir up, stir up love and good works, not forsaking the, the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but ex exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And you know I've been saying this a long time. Hebrews 10, 24, 10, 25. And he goes on to say, I've known Jesus for almost five decades. I accepted him as my Lord and Savior a week before I married Karen. I am a pastor and a committed student of the Bible. However, if I neglected Christian fellowship, I am sure I would fall. I don't know how I would fall, but I know I would not live for Christ like I do today. I need close Christian friends around me who will hold me accountable. I don't think you can make it without godly friends and the church. Your future will be shaped by the people with whom you surround yourself. A wolf never attacks close to the shepherd or in the middle of the flock. He wants to get a single sheep alone. Likewise, the devil is always looking for lone Christians wandering on their own. Don't let him get you alone so he can take advantage of you. And that's how we're going to start this service right now because we are live streaming only today and that's only because I am practicing what I have been preaching for seven months. We're going to do what God says to do. We opened on August the 30th. But every time we need to take extra precautionary measures, we're going to do it without apology or without explanation. We're going to do it. I've got to give an account for not just how I preach to you and what I say, but folks, I've got to give an account 
for I, how I lead you, whether it's leading you in paths outside of this church or leading you inside to a worship service. I have to stand before God and I have no doubt at all that anybody would be unsafe in being in this church today. And you might say, well, why? Because I follow God. I don't follow the pulse and heartbeat of people in Scotland and surrounding counties. So we're doing this today and I want you to know that when we start back next Sunday, unless we know that we need to take another precautionary measure, when we start back, you don't need to continue to be alone. The wolf is out there, and he's praying. He's seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for somebody that's secluded and isolated, and he may not offer you cocaine, and I get that, but what he might offer you is something that you say, well, there's no harm in that, and what can it do at this point? So I'm telling you, folks, you don't need to forsake the assembling of yourselves. I'm tired of just, you know, entertaining this, that this is an unsafe building. I've had more than one person to tell me since they've returned. I felt completely safe. The church has done a good job and commended us for what we've done to keep you a lot safer than other places that you frequent already. And God knows you do, and most of us do as well. So please... Don't play God and don't play the virus and don't think the devil can't get you when you are isolated and alone because that's where he finds his vulnerable sheep all the time. So I want to start today by kind of looking back at last week if we could because if we pick right up from where we were last week, we, we saw that once you take the bread or the body of Jesus, his flesh, and his blood, and you eat and drink that. And we said that's the life-giving, sustaining Jesus. That's what he was saying. He wasn't saying eat my flesh or drink out of my veins. But he meant that spiritually, that when you consume him and he's your source and he's your sustainer, then you can do all things through Christ and you understand and you live according to Romans 8, that all things just work together for good to those that love the Lord and who are the called according to His purpose. But once you do that, and we again, don't mean just those that enjoyed the manna when it falls, or those that just come for the, the bread and the fish, because there's a lot of those always been since Jesus' day, and there still are. But those that are actually living in Christ Jesus. And I'll say, based on what I just said about consuming Him, you are living on Christ Jesus. Once that takes place, something else always also happens along with Him now being your source. And that is none other than you become a part of the disciples of Jesus Christ. You follow Jesus. You walk with Jesus. You live with Jesus. He leads you. And, and you do this and you understand, well, since this has happened, well, my habits have changed. My generosity has changed in a different direction. I'm not just generous to me and my toys and what I like. Now I'm a part of the kingdom. But also your schedule changed. Your whole outlook, your agenda changes. Everything about you changes when that takes place. In fact, 
a reaction happens. It's the same thing that happened with Mary when she received Christ in her womb. What did she do? And, and I'll hit this in about a month. We're going to look at this a little closer. And Mary simply began to sing. It put a new song, if you will, in her heart. It brought about, she didn't talk about once she received Christ, she didn't say on that day the same thing she said the week prior or even the day prior because it, it birthed about a reaction that she could not hold back and she couldn't hold out on singing that song and giving that great exaltation that, that we read about in Luke's gospel. It, it created a reaction and that's what it does to you and that's what it does to me. Not when we eat manna and not when we just show up for the Christian things. We eat the bread and we uh, eat the fish. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the people that have an attitude. I've left all and I love you, Jesus, more than any, even more than my own life. The Bible talks about this reaction of losing and gaining. But before I get to that, I want to read to you what is the song that you and I sing and it's kind of what Mary sang but we just are doing it in a different way because see, she was carrying Jesus in her body before he was born. Now you and I carry Jesus after not only he's been born but he's been crucified and he's uh, arisen from the grave victorious. And the Bible tells us exactly what it is. And I will stop here long enough to say that maybe you are confused and I don't want you to be confused today. I want you to know for a fact. Well, well Opie, how can I know that I am a uh, person that's, that's eaten the bread? I've eaten and I've drank and I've partake uh, of, of Jesus. How can I know that? If it has not put a song in your heart and it's not done in you what I'm about to read to you or we're going to read together, then either A, you've never done anything more than the manna, the loaves, and the fish, or B, you have, but it's like we talked about in our seven letters that's, that we're in. You've kind of left it and you need to go back and do it again. So what is that song? What is that reaction in somebody that's ate and drank? We're going to do it because this is, the, this is the, the word of the hour, and it's over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're actually going to begin at verse 17. So I want you to turn there with me, and it would be to your advantage to have a pen or a highlighter or something in your Bible or something to jot down a couple of words or phrases, okay? So let's start with verse 17. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of or be made of no effect. And here's where you need to kind of start writing things down. For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. That's what happens when you eat and drink. But to those of us who are being saved, when we preach the message of the cross, it is the power of God. So write that down. Underline that. When we preach 
after we have been saved, to us that have been saved, it is the power of God. I need to stop. I was going to say it later, but I can't hold it back no longer. That's why so many people are walking depressed as believers or professing believers. That's why so many churches, so many preachers, so many ministries, they have all the tools of the trades, if you will, but they are powerless. They deny the works era because they're preaching everything, their own agendas, but they're not preaching the message of the cross. The message of the cross is a grueling crucifixion uh, all over again when we preach that message, when we tell people how Jesus was brutally beaten and how he came into his own and his own even refused him. When we tell people that, people don't want that, you see. And I'm going to tell you in a minute just how offensive it is. It's very offensive. That's why people are running from churches and people don't want anything to do with God anymore is simply because they don't want anything to do with the cross. So preachers quit preaching the cross and they preach all the nice things in Christianity. For the message of the cross, verse 18 again, is to those in the world, it's foolishness. To those who are perishing, you see, they're on their way to hell, so it's foolish. Quit wasting my time. Tell me something that I just want to hear. The Bible also calls that itching ears. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Verse 20 says, where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. See, God knows what it meant, and he knew what it meant. He knew what kind of reaction people were going to have. For Jews request a sign, you see, and Greeks seek after wisdom because they can brag about that, you see. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, oh, it's foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not that many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Stop a minute again. What have I been telling you for a couple of weeks now? We've been talking about the few, a crew, a remnant. You see, we can't get around it. It's all over this thing called the Bible, the Word of God. God didn't just say it one time. He wanted to make it loud and clear, hallelujah, that we all would get it and we would understand and we would grab it and we would run with it and we would shout it and let the world know that there's only one way. You got to go to an old cross. You got to be beaten. Hallelujah. You got to be beaten with conviction. You got to repent. You got to tell the Lord you're wrong. 
wrong. Your arrogance, your pride, your fixation on material things, all of that is of hell. And the only thing you bring is just a repentant heart and a head bowed load. And then God says, I can use you and I'll put that song in your mouth. I'll put this message of foolishness in your mouth and you'll preach it to the ends of the earth. And if that's not happening, that's because there's not many wise, not many noble. There's not many at all. Few there be that find it. And that's what God's called me to do today is to help you find this, what we're talking about this morning. You've got to find out what I need to be doing right now. Oh, yes, you can be caught up in all the politics and all the foolishness. And I'm going to say this. We all get all worked up and everything and everybody's telling you to vote, vote, vote. You're supposed to vote. I get that. I understand that. You're supposed to vote. I'm going to say something that you're either going to continue watching this broadcast or you're about to cut me loose. But I'm going to say it in the name of Jesus because God will not leave me alone till I get it off my chest. And that is only the person that God has raised for this next phase will enter the White House. Be that Trump or be that Harris. I meant Biden. Be that them. Only the person that God has said, okay, I'm going to use you for what's about to happen next. That's the only person. It doesn't have a thing to do with electoral votes. It doesn't have the thing to do with people using copiers to make uh, mail-in ballots. It ain't got a thing to do with all that. We're supposed to do our civic duty. I know all the righteous politics uh, that's in the church is going to remind me of that. But you can save your breath and your time. And everybody wants to tell you to vote biblical. You're supposed to vote, vote, vote biblical. But I want to just tell everybody this. What biblical part of the Bible do you want me to vote? Do you want me to vote against abortion? Or do you want uh, me to vote against pride and arrogance and lying? What, what part of the Bible do you want me to vote biblical on is what I want to tell people. And I know how I voted. I think it goes without saying. I think that's very clear. And I'm going to get back to where we are. But this is all. But you know why God has put this message in place today? Because there's a lot of people called Christians. You've been preaching this stuff and you haven't been preaching what is the power of God. So you're living a powerless life. All you are is full of puff. No power though. And God cannot save people through me venting out how I feel politically. You're not going to win anybody to Jesus. You're not going to save your family from hell nor yourself or anybody else. So... Yes, I believe that you are to do what is probably obvious to do as a believer. I really believe that, but I want to say this, and this is really probably going to go over great. But the Bible backs up what I'm going to tell you because God's always put, Saul was an evil man, you see, and the people wanted a king. They were not happy with God using his elected official. So they wanted their own, and God gave them to him. And you see, God's always... But Saul, as bad as he was, when he tried to kill his own son-in-law, David, which Jesus... The lineage of Christ is through David. Listen to me. God still used him to prophesy. And there's no doubt that God can use whatever, whether it's in a positive way in our eyes or a negative way. This is all of politics you're going to get out of me. But I want to just get your mind back where it's supposed to be. Donald Trump will not be re-elected unless God wants him to be re-elected. He may have the most votes. 
He may have twice as many votes. He may get all the support. Every state on the map could turn red. And I know this is a bold statement, but I'm not saying that the Holy Ghost is saying this. I just want you to get your mind where it's supposed to be. I know how I feel about the situation through earthly eyes, but I want to tell you this. For what is about to happen next on a prophetic note and on a prophetic level, there has to be certain people that's chasing after certain vile, sick things to get us to the next phase of Sodom and Gomorrah. And unless God is going to do it through that man with four more years some other kind of way, maybe through Congress or Senate, he won't be reelected because he don't stand for all the things that are being stood for by other people that clearly pay. I don't care how you feel, and I don't care how I feel. I'm not here to endorse or condemn anybody. I'm talking to you through the Word of God and what the Bible is telling us, that we've got to make our calling and election sure. So I told you all that very controversial stuff I just told you. I pray. I prayed for all of them. I prayed for Obama. I prayed for Hillary. I prayed for Bill. I prayed for George. I prayed for George Sr. Prayed for Ronald. Prayed for all of them. God, God puts who he wants where when he wants them. But see, a lot of people, you know more about what's happening in the political world than you the, the biblical world. You've got to understand, your life has not been spared to turn somebody red or turn somebody blue. That's not why you're breathing God's air right now. There's only a few, you see. My finger is being held on this scripture right here so I can say it one more time. There's not many wise. Not many mighty, not many uh, noble. And you know, the enemy, while I'm preaching this and the Spirit of God is dealing with me right now, don't you think that the enemy is not trying to deal with me, but I rebuke him in the name of Jesus. I have been called here today to deliver this word to you and get your mind off of this earth if you pray for the president like you're supposed to pray for him and if you even pray for people that you are not planning on voting for perhaps then what will happen God will see that you're really trusting him in the end anyway and you are happy with whatever God chooses to do or either you don't believe God's in control so now that we've got that settled let's let's read verse 27 but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. No flesh. I don't know if you've ever shared the gospel message of salvation of the old rugged cross with anybody or not. And, 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 and again, in the name of Jesus, God, would you release every person under bondage right now by what I just said in the name of Jesus. I ask you to liberate them. God, they're in a bondage they don't realize they're in. God, they, they are trusting a man and a system more than they are you, Lord. 
So I pray God, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus, set the captive free in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you that what I, this scripture that I'm reading to you right now is the whole problem with me at times and with all of us at times. And it's found over in the 8th chapter of Mark. And Jesus says this, For whosoever will save his life shall actually lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, all the same shall save it. Now listen to this. Whosoever shall lose his life for the Lord's sake and the gospel, you are actually going to save your life. I've always thought, you know, that losing my life for the gospel is when, you know, and I made a reference to this a week ago, about being beheaded. But no, I, I, I think God wants us to look at it like this also. I think He wants us to view this Scripture, losing our life right now to things that define us. And it's not for the sake of His name or His gospel. I think He wants me to lose my life to pleasure. I think He wants me to lose my life to things that I've prioritized, the things that I've overlooked Him and His house for. I think God wants me to lose my life to my pride and my money and my reputation. Yes, I think when you lose your life, you actually have the power of God coming into your life. And then that song begins to start singing. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and this is a scripture that I've referred to a couple of times that my mother had on her bathroom window, or mirror rather, and it just says, God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's not given us the spirit of fear, folks. Listen, if you are living in fear right now, God did not give that to you. There's only one other spirit that gave that to you, and that is an evil, unholy spirit. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you know what? Through this study this week, I have wondered that if part of what God could have possibly meant to us when he said, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but I've given you a spirit and a power. I've given you a power. I wonder if that means, I've given you the power, Opie, but it's, it's behind you preaching the gospel, the salvation message of Jesus Christ because we've already read it when Paul said it, that it is the power of God unto salvation. So I wonder if all the time I'm spending in fear, somebody, listen, I think that my power is right behind my preaching. If I would just tell somebody about Jesus instead of Biden or Trump's track record, I think if we would do that, we would see us as a believers in Christ rise up and begin to see a mighty revival break out in our midst and people not care about anything but what thus saith the Lord. So I believe that a lot of our power is behind just preaching the message of Jesus Christ. There's two things that you, you need to understand about God. God knew what he was doing a long time ago. 
Like a brick mason in verse 33 of Romans 9, listen to what Paul says. He says, as it is written, see, God says, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So just like, as I just told you, a brick mason, God knew that when he grabbed that stone, Jesus, and he brought him to earth as a babe in a manger, he knew from the get-go that a man was going to try to kill him as a baby. He knew that he would always be a problem for somebody somewhere. God knew that he would always be a rock of offense. He would be old jagged thing that wants to cut me open and let me see what's wrong in my... He knew that he would not fit into the political correctness. He knew that he would be a square peg in a round hole in the eyes of this religious society that he was born into. But the Lord said this. He said this. He said, I'm putting him there because that's how I'm going to save the world. And then Luke said in chapter 9, verse 26, he said, whoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So see, we have a problem with not getting embarrassed now. I, I told you churches have already gotten rid of the cross message churches don't want to talk about it they want to talk about doing good deeds in the community all the time they don't want to tell sinners that sin is wrong they don't want to tell people that the gospel is really the only truth there is they don't want to say this anymore it's the still the only way to heaven and so we're ashamed to say what won't make people like us we're ashamed and i'm warning people that are flirting with that. He said, if you are ashamed of me and my words, and this is it, my friend, my words. If you are ashamed, he said, I'm going to be ashamed of you. And he said this in the 16th verse of, of the first chapter of Romans. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Ask yourself that question. Well, no, I'm not. Well, when's the last time you've gone on a gospel preaching spree. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it, I want you to say that with me. I want you to write it down, underline it, something. For it, and only it, is the power of God to salvation. I, I, listen, I, I, I can't finish reading it because God reminded me of something he told me this morning. When I grew up, we were all talking about being, you, you do not need to worry about seeking being baptized in the Holy Ghost if you are ashamed of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't need to worry about that. You, you, you are putting the cart so far in front of the horse, it's not funny. In fact, I dare say, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus, if seven people that's listening to me right now, you would spend the next seven days preaching Jesus Christ and God's not allowed you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you would be baptized in the Holy Spirit because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's what the Bible says. And if you take both of those, what we just said, and put those together. It's all about believing. If you believe this, 
If you believe everything, if you believe that take and eat my body, my flesh, take, drink my blood, take and have communion with me. If you believe that and you receive that and you preach that the rest of your life, I don't care what's on sale. I don't care who's ahead in the polls. I don't care about all that stuff. Nobody's been saved based on all that stuff. What I care about is a man knowing that Jesus Christ is better than drugs or sex outside of marriage for a young person or he's better than all the material things in the world or an extramarital affair or a lie to get you out of a bind because you made about a mistake. That's all I'm consumed with, folks, and that's the only thing that's going to liberate this earth right now. It's the power of God through the preaching of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me what's wrong anymore. I just said it a week. Last week, last Wednesday, I believe. Don't tell me what's wrong anymore. I know. I've got eyes. I see masks everywhere I go. I see new death tolls everywhere I go. I see all the filth everywhere I go. I, I see all the denial of God everywhere I go. You don't have to spend another day telling me what's wrong. What I want to know is how can I meet Jesus? Who is Jesus, by the way? What did he do for me? What is all this gory stuff I've heard about? A cross and blood and nails and a spear and thorns in his head and spitting on him and his clothes being ripped off of him on a hill with people to look at him while he hangs naked in front of his family and scores of other people. Who is this man? You tell somebody about that instead of how the election's going and you watch the power of God invade your life and change theirs. Hallelujah. In closing, I've got to tell you this. The devil just told me to, to apologize again for all that political mess I told you. I ain't going to do it. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I haven't said any of this. But you've got to get your head out of the sand. If COVID's not enough, you throw the political arena in. And then you throw the economy in for some people. You throw the fact that they can't, they can practice, and here, here, oh, here's a big one here. They can practice sports, but they can't go to school. You throw all this frustration and people having to choose over quit careers and all this. And I know I'm just all over the place today, and I praise God that I am. Because we've got to get loose of ourselves. We got to lose this life, you see. You can't embrace the new Jerusalem. You can't be on your way to glory if something's got you by the leg or by the neck or by the hand and you're all caught up in whatever else is just bugging everybody else. You've got to be Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all I know and that's all I can tell you because that's all I can tell you. And by the way, nobody don't, don't and I did this for you know, and it's kind of funny the last time, but I'm telling you, I ain't got time to, to, to band-aid anything I've said today. You get on your knees, and if I was wrong, the Holy Ghost will convict me. You don't need to call or text or message me or put it on Facebook in some kind of random generic. I don't care. I'm here for God, and I'm here to grow sheep. The few, not the many, but the few sheep that's going home, that's who I'm dedicated to. So I want to say this. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.
a long time ago. Well, over, as a matter of fact, uh, in the fifth chapter of Galatians, around verse 11, there was an issue that Paul brought back up that, now you, check this out. Now, I, I want you to listen to this. This is after Jesus had not only been, <coughs> excuse me, preached about, but he actually had been witnessed by a lot of people after he arose from the dead. We know 500 at one time. A lot of people had seen Jesus and they, they knew that it was real. They knew if they didn't believe Mary for 30 years or 33 years that she really didn't sleep with Joseph and give birth to Jesus, if they didn't believe that, because I'm sure she never changed the story, neither Joseph. She stood by it the whole time. If they didn't believe that, and maybe they were not in the thousands being fed or Jesus walking on the water or raising a dead child or a dead man or all the other things he did, if they didn't believe any of that, some of them saw and some of them knew that Jesus had indeed, and through their family, had indeed come out of the grave and he ascended. And he was a real person. He was, he, he was real. He was real. It wasn't some dream they had. But do you know what I'm referring to, Paul said in the fifth chapter of Galatians? Even with all of that that took place, and people knew it, but the religious community the religious community, still. And now, being a male, this blows my mind right what I'm about to say. They still wanted to hold on to the law of circumcision. They wanted to practice that instead of embracing the new covenant so that because preaching the cross was offensive to them. And they would, a lot of them would crutch on what Moses said out of context. Cursed is every man that is hung on a tree over in Deuteronomy. They, they, would, they would crutch on all that and that is what Moses said. But I want, I want to tell you this. Jesus was. He took the curse of sin on his body and it was nailed to a tree. He was so that you and I would no longer have to live under the curse. But that was not good enough for them. They had rather go through the, the sometimes uh, it meant death because of infection. They'd, go, they'd rather go through circumcision and bring their children, young males, through all of that ritual again because they didn't want to preach the offensive cross of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that today, oh, we, 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 we don't hold on to any other laws or anything else, let alone preach the, the offensive message of Jesus Christ. And if you are wondering, I read my Bible, I pray, I pay my tithe, and Opie, I really, I really make a conscious effort to try to live like Jesus but I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. Then I want to tell you this. 
Look at your track record of how much you share the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen, it doesn't have to be a door-to-door thing. Somebody can come talking about all that negative stuff and you can turn it around and use that as a door and an opportunity to talk about the grace of God through the cross of Jesus. It's easier than you think it is. And when you get those words, hey, listen, I'm going to do a quick test. We're going to pray, but listen. How many of you, when you were saved, you went and told somebody about Jesus? You didn't care because you were saved. And it meant when you got, whether they got saved or liked it or lumped it or whatever, how many people am I talking to right now? I want you to say me in the comments if you can. How many of you, you did that and when you got through, you felt like a million dollars? It's just like something rose up in you. It's because it did. The Holy Ghost, the power of God made you come alive when you spoke the Word of God to somebody. See, there's all kind of power there. And when you share life with death, death can come alive, you see. And that's why a lot of people in churches everywhere feel powerless. They've done everything. They've even spoken in tongues and prayed for hours. They just haven't told anybody about Jesus. And that's where the power of God is. So I want to tell you that are listening, if people are still listening, I don't know if people are still here. Is anybody still online, y'all? Anybody still watching? Okay, praise God. And, and thank you and bless God. Bless you. I want to tell you, hallelujah, and I'm not trying to be condescending, funny, or arrogant or anything today, but I don't know when the trumpet's going to sound. And I'm telling you, regardless of the election, it's about, don't matter who wins, okay? It's about to get ugly. It's about to get ugly. And there needs to be a remnant somewhere that's full of the power of God. And so this is why this urgency is all over me, you see. And I've got to tell you really the only thing that matters right now, and that's the Word of God going forth out of your mouth. And you walking in power instead of walking in death, like a lot of us have been walking in death over seven months. We're scared to death. We're scared to death. And anything, if anything comes out now, we've all been so groomed Everything other than the political correctness about the whole virus, everything other than what they tell us, the truth that is being suppressed all the time and being wiped off of websites because they don't want people to know. I'm talking about documented medical truth. Everything but what they say, the political correctness side of the virus is all conspiracy theory. So see, you've got to be in love with truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ. And if you stand by that, you live by that, and you speak that, you're going to enjoy the power that comes with that. So some of you may not know Jesus. And you heard me talk about manna. You heard me talk about bread, fish, loaves, body, blood. And you need this power because you're not even a Christian and you felt death every step I'm talking to somebody either right now or later when you watch this. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the authority of this book, if you will say, Jesus, I am a sinner. If you will say, Jesus, 
forgive me of my sin. If you are watching and you feel convicted over what God has revealed at some point in this message, listen to me. Listen. All you have to do is say, God, I have been so sidetracked with all those things and I'm guilty of them. I have. I've been sidetracked. I've told more people about where the gas is cheaper. I've told more people about this person's rights and wrongs and all the, I've told more people about the latest riot than I have about Jesus Christ. Then the Lord wants to save all of you. He wants to save you today. And if you'll say, Jesus, I want to come clean right now. I need to do my first works over again. I need to get back in line where I'm a, a part of that few. That, I, I'm not in the mighty eyes of the world. I'm part of that remnant. God, I want to get back into those that understand everything that preacher said. And I want to get right, Lord. I want to get my mind right. I want to get my schedule right. I want to get my thinking right. Forgive me. I believe you shed that precious blood for me. If you will say that and you mean that, and you'll denounce everything in your life, and you'll embrace the precious words of God that saved man from his sins, the Bible says you will become a brand new creation. Old things will be gone. I'm talking to believers now, those of you that profess to know the Lord, but you don't fit the description of what a real saved person is doing. Just say, God, and I'm in there with you. I want to tell people about Jesus every day. I want to turn everything you tell me about something carnal into something righteous. So God help the preacher today, Lord. I'm not preaching at these people. I'm hearing it with them, O oh Lord, what you are telling me, Father. And help people to know whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And I pray for the church, O oh God. Lord, I pray for the church that they would know that you are for us, you are not against us. And you still want to pour your blessings out all over us and show us great and mighty things that we know not of. And God, and I believe what I'm preaching, what I'm quoting, what I'm declaring in the name of Jesus over every person. In your holy name. Amen. And I just want to remind you before I leave you with something. I want, to, I want to leave you with this. Please make sure now that you register this week. We will be back in here. And so Wednesday morning, you, most of you will get a notification about registering. It's time to have church, and it's time to be the church. It's time to be the church. I don't think when God told me on August the 30th, He was talking to me and about 40 other people that were here the whole time. We were already here. I think he was talking to you. Register, folks. Register. It's not between me and you or the church and you. At this point, it's between you and God. You ought to know today the way I petition Wednesday night, the way I just what I'm doing right now. Register. Come to God's house. Don't forsake it at, of all times in history. In your life, don't forsake it. Now, if the devil can spook you with the coronavirus and everything else, 
then friend, this is only the bottom of it. You haven't seen anything yet. It's about to get real. But I want you to have your spiritual muscles so built in God that you tell him, any, I don't care what fiery dart you throw at my mind or my body or my family. The power of God rests on my life. Hallelujah. 